old school dragon man. That's when Habers realized he wanted to be a Chaos Knight. <laughs> He's like, no, he knew that way before that. We saw that. <laughs> Habers heart. was a Chaos Knight way before. He was he was born a fucking Chaos Knight. Yeah. Several people are typing. I am your host, Jim, and I'm joined by David, Will, and Brian. And tonight we are going to be talking about D&D, uh, our experiences, things we love, things we hate, maybe some advice along the way for anyone else who's interested or uh, plays today. So I will um, I will kick it off with our first question. How how did you guys get started with D&D? And maybe thoughts on, you know, initial experiences, um, what really stuck out? I'll start with Dave. So I started playing D&D back in seventh grade in second edition. Um, and I think for a lot of beginner players, uh, my fa- my fascination immediately began with the idea that I could play an evil character, right? It was this game, game set up where it was like, oh, I'm not the hero because you play a ton of video games and you play, uh, you know, wh- whatever type of game. And you're, you're always position to be the savior of the land. Uh, but here was this game where they were like, oh, you could just be whatever you want and you can do whatever you want. And that that power of freedom was amazing. You know, this was way back in the day. So before uh, stuff like Fallout 2 existed where you could really go sort of hog wild in a video game sense. Uh, yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing I loved about it is that the first time I started playing the game, I was playing like a homebrew class that one of my friends created. And that was the other thing I loved about it was that it allowed players to bring so much to the game that you could, you know, even like bring your own content, which is fantastic. I feel like you are really just hiding why you really love the game, which was that it was very hard for people to catch you cheating. (laughs) And all Yeah, I did cheat a lot. I did, you know, it was, uh, I, I, I knew some big time D and D cheaters in college. Yeah. It's just, it's really easy to cheat in the game, uh, and get away with it. I mean, you know? if, when, when your goal is being evil, I mean, there you go. <laughs> in, in, in and out just, of the game. Playing, guys. <laughs> yeah. I, if guys, I do remember. It's just a game guys. Yeah. I, I'm just doing what my character would do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really your fault if you don't catch me. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll go next and I'll hand it off. Um, uh, my experience, I think, very much mirrors Dave. I think you technically, we started around the same time. I mean, we were in the same group. I don't think, like, if anything really started before I started. But uh, a couple of things I, that that kind of stick out to me was a lot of reading. I actually, uh, I actually kind of didn't love reading at that point. This might sound really weird, but D&D actually got me into a ton of reading. Like, I kind of never really liked it. And then all of a sudden, I started crawling through these books to learn all the rules and everything. And there's all that lore. And it actually kind of like jogged that muscle in my brain. And then, uh, you know, and then I moved on to reading a bunch of other stuff, but it kind of kicked that muscle into gear, um, which is kind of a weird thing. But um, I remember those early experiences and, and to Dave's point, uh, being able to do whatever. And Dave, Dave is cheating because he, um, he played in about half the sessions we played in, but always seemed to be the same level as us. So, so that started to, you know, add up over time. And um uh, to Dave's point, the, the game kind of like open-endedness, right? He, 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 our, our group put a lot of emphasis on, to, to, I'll call it to my detriment, uh, uh, the backstory, you know, which is this <laughs> idea that before you even play and you make this character, uh, RDM, which is a, a great idea that I, I, I absolutely love and 
uh, anywhere I see it used, it, it tends to help. It, you know, they would they would give you more uh, starting gear or or something interesting. The more elaborate you'd make your character, it would kind of like incentivize you to really dig in and build out the character. And and that was a really interesting uh, uh, kind of way to pull you into this world and really make you feel like you're you're, you're the person you're playing. And and that was that was really really cool. So uh, really really great early experiences. A lot of late nights playing the game. Um, but yeah, I'll stop there. Uh, uh, Brian. Um, my first D&D is really hard to pin down because I never really got into playing D&D specifically because of a mix of things. Like I had been aware of and done various role-playing games when I was a kid, but for various reasons, like one of the main ones is the, the DM in our group of friends uh, was a perpetual restarter as far as like, he would find a new system and then we'd all make characters in it. And then we'd uh, find yeah. a new system, we'd all make characters in it. And this happened for literally years. Um, so I never really played like a single campaign or something of D&D and really like got my teeth into it until later in life. Um, so like, but other games like uh, Vampire and and Homebrew that I did um, in World of Darkness was in, in other systems. Uh, I got into D&D big time in college when third edition came out when third edition was like the big reset button and whenever i would hang out with you guys i'd see all these like thousand tomes of second edition it was just like i can't fucking keep track of all this um but when there was a big reset button it was like oh great i'm gonna get into this and i really enjoyed third edition and did a whole ton of it in college um yeah so jim's pointing yeah rpga yeah i want him to have to uh say something It's your turn, Will. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my first kind of anything about D&D was seeing painted figurines that my dad had Ooh. when I was real young from uh, first edition or just D&D, right? Um, and, you know, asking him about it and trying to understand what it was. And like my little, you know, five or six-year-old brain was like, what do you mean there's no board? Like not interested at all. <laughs> um, and then really was around the same time Dave got into it. My first experience kind of playing was spending two hours building a character. And I played um, some sort of like turtle priest, weird race thing. Um, and they then Davis. Turtle. Yeah, I was a turtle. And then Davis killed my character in about six minutes. And I didn't get to roll any of those dice. What? I was very upset. You were killed um, without a single die roll? Dude, I, I didn't. I didn't get to. I, I opened a door, and it was wow. a, it was a white phosphorus trap wow, yeah. in a dungeon, and Dan just rolled a whole bunch of dice, and it was like, yeah, even if you make your save, you die. So I did. I did that to Katie Singer's money one time. That was that was a bad DM choice. So we're gonna get into DM tips later. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah, you 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 open the door and four crossbow bolts kill, like knock you down. You're dead. Like what? <laughs> Yeah. So it was, um, it was a little bit frustrating, but it was the game that you guys played every weekend. And so if I wanted to keep hanging out with you, I had to start liking D&D and, and luckily pers- that persistence paid off. Oh uh, yes. The, the in-group, the D&D in-group. Yes. <laughs> Where all the kids wanted to be. Well, as, as a new kid to the school district, I was, I, I took what I could get. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, something that I'm thinking of based on some of the things we're saying already is like, what are memorable campaigns that people have played in? Um, uh, I'll, I'll, 
the James Carr at, at Suffolk ran like as close to old school D&D as I've ever played. And that was very interesting. What was, cool? what was old school about it? Like not like crack the book open and take anything you want. Like the world mm -hmm. is out there to kill you, uh, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. Um, scarcity as opposed to abundance. So like Final Fantasy one or something like that, right? I think I would also refer to it as a bit more grimdark than high fantasy, yeah. which is more like the roots of first edition D&D, &D, yep. of, the, of the expected of you open the door and then you're killed because you didn't open yeah. it the right way. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot from my reading and research into like very original sort of ideas behind D&D, &D, it was never really designed to be this game um, that was like a perpetual, like, let's just hang out and have fun sesh. It was like, oh, let's get together. We're gonna play a couple of sessions and, you know, likely you're gonna die. Like your your character is gonna die and then you'll re-roll and then you'll play that character, that character will die, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I think the big thing, you, the, the Delta there is the like, like heroic fantasy epic um, yeah. uh, plot, the, the chosen one, the like, or even the idea of, um, uh, that a story is the point as opposed to beating floors of a dungeon and getting loot. I think that was the big evolution of early D&D to more modern role-playing at all. Yeah, that's another good point. Like you, I forget, what was the name of the the castle that Gary Gygax and David Arneson designed? But like, that was like- the Castle Greyhawk? Maybe that was it, yeah. And it was just like, that was kind of the original template for D&D. Um, and it was a lot of that where it was just like, you know, guys who used to play like strategy war combat games, creating like now a let's invade and destroy this castle simulation. And there's a bad guy in the castle and that's the ultimate goal. And like shifting the paradigm from PVP war style to PVE, like invade a castle style. Like intimate, we're only controlling one unit, which yes. is kind of where... Like you went from having like the wizard hero on the battlefield to like, nope, it's just the single wizard and you control just that one. Yep. Yeah, it's it's funny thinking about like just how much the game has changed over the years. Um, you know, not just with rule sets that were annoying in our youth like Thaco uh, to just like more, more thinking about the bigger picture. Like, okay, this is kind of what the experience is like. Anyway, uh, Jim. Why don't you tell a funny D and D story? I got a, I know one of you, a funny D and D story with you in it. If you don't have one off the top of your head, uh, you you can go, you can go. No, I'm telling you, do tell them about that amazing backstory. <laughs> I don't even that, that backstory has so much lore to it. It is bigger than the story itself. Um, is this no, the one that you story. once? Is this the one that you summarized to me once as? Yeah, I go for my, it, Brian. I killed my. I, so I came to this group of friends later so this was more like ancient lore to me but Jim just I re recall Jim describing it as I killed my family and they're out to get me yeah. no no it's a pretty basic <laughs> backstory um the family were ghosts and they're coming to get you ghosts and D&D is not irrational what why I think it became this big thing was every time the old DM, this other guy, Dan, killed off a character. You weren't like basically allowed to start until you made a new backstory. And I wasn't good at them at all. And my characters died a lot. Okay. <laughs> like we can get into oh, how to run a campaign, first edition. But um, uh, he was definitely, to Will's point, ruthless. Uh, if your character died, it died. Um, 
And and so I, I couldn't think of anything. And they said, Jimmy, you're going to go in this other room and we're going to come find you in an hour. <laughs> and when 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 we come get you, we want to hear a really good backstory. And I said, OK. And then and then that is the genesis here is they say, OK, it's been an hour. I'm like, OK, guys, I kill my family, my parents. And then and now they're out to get me. And, and everyone just stood there and they were just angry. They were all just angry. I think we erupted into laughter at that point. <laughs> that might have been laughter. <laughs> yeah, because and my recollection is you you were stammering on and on about your because you were a minotaur and you were talking about your minotaur family and you know how they were bad news and you took them out and it was just like none of it was making any sense. It was just like you were just like talking in circles. We're like we're like Jim, what the fuck? What is going on with your fucking character? You're like, look. Long story short. <laughs> The TLDR. <laughs> they're dead and they're out to get me. And that's when we started just losing our shit because like, how are they out to get you if they're dead? Yes. So, so, uh, uh, and, and there was like this minimum bar where it was like, if I couldn't think of a backstory, you couldn't play anyway. So that's the whole jet. That's the whole, um, that's the whole, my story, Dave, if you have In a fairness, that's a significantly better backstory than somebody killed my family and now I'm out to get them. <laughs> yes it is it is uh, it is uh one tier above <laughs> so dave did you have one you wanted to share uh not i think one random specific dnd anecdote was one time we were playing a a pirate campaign where we were all creating these pirate characters and i did something incredibly stupid and also incredibly hilarious where i named my character william and william was playing the game <laughs> And he just looked over at me like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, your character's name is William. So now when everyone says William, they're not going to know if they're talking to me or your character. I was like, ah, oh, shit, I didn't think about that. They're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Well, Dave clearly didn't change it. He just no, said, I didn't. sorry. No, I didn't. <laughs> I really like I think, the name. I, I, I think that bridges right into the talk about alignment and oh yeah, people. <laughs> sure, let's do it. Okay, so so I propose a question, and um, to Dave's point, maybe maybe this is more like you know how we all view alignment. So um, I doubt anyone listening doesn't know this, but D and D has alignments: chaotic, neutral, and uh, lawful, and and they fall along what you would expect, uh, in my opinion playing characters uh lawful characters always or as much as they possibly can uh, uh without creating some kind of like ethical conundrum will follow the law to 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 degree neutral in my opinion uh, uh blends into chaotic in a way where they, they they start to feel uh like there's a lot of overlap chaotic you know not taking the law into account and neutral was always described to me as well, they follow the law you know when it's convenient and then they don't when they don't and i'm like okay but like how is this any different than chaotic who just doesn't care about the law they sound like the same thing you're just saying it different ways so my opinion chaotic and uh uh, uh neutral uh really kind of blend into a single type of alignment and and i never really saw much separation there what do you guys think i mean neutrals are always tricky just i mean whenever you have two like extreme concepts and it's like where's the like how do you describe the like average spot between them that could be a tricky thing i guess especially in the example you're describing of like whether or not you follow the law. It, like it feels like a yes or a no, right? <laughs> right. So, but you have three. It's like, but what do you mean we have three? This, this seems like a binary to a degree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the the alignment thing gets tricky because of 
the sort of notion of like true neutral. So it's something that we didn't explain is that, so you have, you have lawful, neutral, and chaotic, but you also have it divided or multiplied across good, neutral, and evil. So there's nine alignment combinations in total. Uh, and the weird thing is that if you look at neutral good and chaotic good, and if you look at neutral evil and chaotic evil, those kind of like match up in terms of like in the textbook, like what the you definitions can, are. You can just, you can describe them with, with like certainty. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the idea, like, I think the thing for me that was like the, the well put in the fifth edition player's handbook was that lawful, neutral and chaotic all really matter about like societal expectations, right? Like lawful, obviously, like if society expects you not to steal from people, you don't steal from people. Uh, and if you're chaotic, you don't care about the sort of societal expectations. You know, you care more about your own personal moral code, especially if you're in a chaotic good sense. If you're chaotic evil, you're kind of just, you know, wackadoo crazy and you, <laughs> you're still only going that, that, by your that's own. That's chaotic neutral. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, right? That, that's like total freedom. But, you know, like your, your greed and hatred and bloodlust when it comes to chaotic evil is still motivated by your own personal compass. Whereas neutral is, you know, they, they are, uh, they're effectively selfish. Like, and the, the sort of idea is that they are thinking about things uh, sort of not by personal code. They're not thinking about societal expectations. They're doing whatever the fuck they want in terms of like, not chaos, but like by what is personally beneficial for them. Hence why neutral evil is like the greed alignment. I mean, in my opinion, the way you described neutral and chaotic were identical. It's like you said the same thing twice, just to be clear. But if you guys have a better way to parse those two, I just could never find it. So, so one thing I love is reading the description of the alignments in each and every different D&D book. Because yep, it changes. Because, because <laughs> it does. It, well, oh, of course. Yeah. Of course, I mean, the course. only thing that's consistent is those, is those nine buckets, right? Although, except for fourth edition, but well, let's not talk about that. Um, and like, I've always enjoyed thinking about that kind of like structural axis in for like, like philosophical things in general. And I think a lot of that comes from like reading D&D from back in the day and thinking about it and internalizing some of it. Um, and I've definitely developed my own sense of what the alignments mean to me personally. Um, and I think that's kind of necessary because the definitions change so much and acknowledging it that like, this is my personal version. It really uh, goes a long way. Um, for me, at least, good and evil is uh, selfless and selfish is kind of what I think though describes those best for me. And uh, law and chaos is, is basically the belief in rule of law versus the belief of survival of the fittest. And then whatever like neutral always being just the balance point between that. But in, in, in my mind, more in a, a liberating way where like I think of somebody neutral sort of freely taking from whichever side they want in the current circumstances without being like ideologically like, no, I, I believe in the rule of law. Instead, it's like, ah, you know, rule of law is mostly good, but eh, right, a as an example of that. Um, a, a neutral person on the, on the 
law chaos doesn't want a chaotic society they don't want the authoritarian lawful either they want that uh right nice blend they 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 go to whichever side helps them in the particular moment yes that's what i was trying to get at with greedy got it okay so from a pragmatic standpoint what i've found is that 95 percent of the players play chaotic good um (laughs) unless you're a paladin and then you're playing lawful good and you're very particular about how lawful you are uh, or you're running an evil campaign and you are just, you know, as evil as you can be. Um, <laughs> but from, yeah, pragmatically, almost everybody just plays chaotic good. Yeah. Yeah. Alignments just don't matter that much. Yeah. I, I would also agree with that. I think that like, I think player motivation, like character motivation usually trumps alignment. And I like that more. Oh yeah. The, like what's written on the sheet is basically a, a way to remind yourself to think about playing a different character way more than is than anything else. Or Dave chops off your hand. I mean, let's be honest, power <laughs> trumps alignment as well. You get powerful enough. You're basically all the alignments. So, um, uh, let's, on that that note, let's talk, let's talk about power with magic, <laughs> magic, magic is the ultimate power. And the ultimate of the ultimate magics are cantrips. Uh, oh my god, that was a segue. Did you hear my segue? <laughs> it was All a right. good segue. So, <laughs> keep going, Dave. <laughs> so anyway, uh, in our D and D crew, cantrips are a little contentious. Uh, as are ritual spells, and we're we're talking five E terminology here, uh, because for for really the the things that make them so strong is the fact that they're a limitless resource that like as a caster you can cast cantrips all day long and effectively not have any negative consequences and same same thing with ritual spells just at slower speeds uh and i think maybe i'll william why don't you talk a little bit more about that because you're running a campaign right now where resources really matter and talk as a dm kind of your your gripes about this idea yeah so so Specifically with Mage Hand, the idea that you have this zero cost, limitless supply um, way to effectively bypass most traps makes the stakes of a lot of dungeons, especially like the pre-written dungeons, um, much, much lower, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm just going to open that with Mage Hand or I'm just going to Mage Hand this. I'm going to lift that up. And there's no, like, because there's no cost, there's no downside to trying it that way, right? If If it took a spell slot, at least there is some resource that you had to consume in order to do it, right? And I understand like maybe that's an issue with the design of the traps, Um, but ultimately I think it's an issue with Mage Hand just being too powerful for where it is in its, you know, if it it was a first level spell even or a second level spell, I think that's more than fair. Um, It's just that you can do it anytime you want for free. Yeah, I mean- It's hard to give a sense of danger, right? If, If you say like, you see a chest, right? And- Everybody in this world at least assumes that it's going to be trapped. Or a mimic. Somebody's, yeah, or a mimic or whatever it is. And somebody's like, okay, I just, I, I open it with Mage Hand. You're like, well, it's First not First shoot an so. arrow into the chest to make sure it's yeah. not a mimic. You know, and-, and Or dynamite. And this also might be an issue with more experienced players than, than newer players to the game, where many of the modules are balanced to new players. And if you have players who have any experience and any meta knowledge, they really break the the campaign. Yeah. Um, like, oh, I think that might be a mimic. It's like, well, why does your character think that might be a mimic? Like, okay, cool. 
Because look at its positioning, it's obviously a mimic. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, yeah, and, and so Majak kind of feeds into that. Like, yeah, <laughs> ways to use meta knowledge to bypass things that you think are dangerous, lower the stakes in campaigns. And I, I think that, especially in this campaign, the the life or death aspect of it is really important. Um, I, I th you brought up great points, and I agree with pretty much all of them. The, the, the no resource thing is, is a thing. Um, in third edition cantrips uh, were still slots, um, right. uh, mm -hmm. but they were just zeroth level spells. And that was a nice thing. It feels very liberating to have the infinite cantrips and certainly works really well for the basic attack cantrips. Um, yeah. But but the utility ones, it, like it's tricky because some of them are like awful utility. And then there's mage hand, which is like, I can't think of a reason to not take that on every single arcane caster and just use it constantly. The, 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 the use cases are, manifold um and the amount of contortions a dm or any kind of dungeon setup needs to do in order to take into that into account like feel contrived because they are contrived <laughs> and, 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 are very, and are very frustrating like what do you mean the trap was set to spike someone 15 feet away the exact casting distance of me <laughs> <laughs> exactly. every, every object ends up being six pounds yeah <laughs> Yeah. But then, but then we just figured out how to do two mage hands to like hold a rope between them and lift it, or like, uh, and then another thing um, that made that kind of in mage hands defense, but I'm not really defending it is back in the day. Also, you would do things like everybody would have their ten foot pole. Mage yeah. hand is basically the spell version of ten foot pole, but again, it's like thirty feet and it has the dexterity of a hand. And like, come on. <laughs> yeah, at least you could ask somebody to role play or, or explain what they're trying to do with that ten foot pole. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, and, and break it as opposed to Mage Hand, where it's like, yeah, I get it. You just you get to do this, okay? I, I specifically I ran a one five e game before a COVID, and a new player. I had never really used anything with five e, so I was just like, I've got the book. We're like, I don't know, I'm just gonna improvise because I know how to DM. But then they started casting Mage Hand and using it, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but you could just do that forever and it just that's, <laughs> that's dumb and yeah, yeah. like just the, the first time they started using it, i was like that seems super quite powerful and then it didn't come up again because for various reasons but then we started using it in the new game and god almost immediately was like wow this is this is this feels bad and i was the one casting it i was like i don't like this <laughs> so so yeah I think it, it removes the tension it, yeah. it, and, right. and things are less fun as a result I do not like right. using it, but I will use it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, Brian and I both work in game design and it's always players will take the path of least resistance, even if that path isn't self-destructive to your own fun. Yeah. So I, I think that like my, my two cents is this, like I love mage hand from a conceptual perspective, right? Like, again, the thing that I love about D&D, the reason I'm playing it after 20 years is because it lets you be creative and use your imagination in ways that video games can't let you do, right? Like being able to manipulate and interact with a fictional world with Mage Hand is fucking cool. But anytime you have to spam a spell to fucking take all of the threat out of the thing that is supposed to be dangerous and threatening is bad, right? Like that, that is the fundamental problem. I do think that um, that D and D does also have specific issues with uh, with cheesy traps, 
And I don't like that. Like, I think that setting up a trap that is like, oh, it's a door and you open, you turn the knob and a pin pops out and you take a bunch of poison damage is in my, my opinion, bad game design. Because like suddenly I, I don't trust doors anymore. Like now, <laughs> now doors are my enemy. And every time I see a door, I want to explode it or kill it. That's not what a door is. A door is the thing that takes you from one area to the next area. And you don't want to do that. Like, I don't know. I have this, this homebrew that I've been refining for years and years. It's a, it's a one shot. Uh, and it usually turns into like a six hour campaign or six hour session. So sometimes it's a two shot. Um, and there are a bunch of little fiddly traps in it, but the fiddly traps are like, it's really dark and you're in a dungeon and there's like a slick hill that you can see ahead of you. It's like really slick. And if you're a clever player and you use a rope to get down the hill, I'm not going to make you roll for it. But if you're just like, well, I'm going to really carefully like hold the edge. I'm like, okay, make a, make an acrobatics check. And if you don't roll well, you slip down that fucking slidey ass hill and you fall into a swamp and there's a monster in that swamp and you fight it. But like that, that's like, those are the kind of traps that I want to see more in D&D. So, yeah. So a couple points there. I agree with you that there are a lot of traps that are dumb. I think that door traps and things like that can lead you to start attacking every door or poking every door with a 10 foot pole or mage handing every door. Um, I think that there are certainly places where it feels okay, right? Like in the dungeon that we are in, in my campaign, it feels okay that doors are trapped, right? Like the yeah. the, the player characters would have grown to expect that this place is going to kill them. Um, but yeah, like if you're in town and you just like open, you know, the wrong stall in the bathroom and you're like, oh, you get poisoned because some asshole set a trap here, that's not good. Um, I think that I like, you know, utility spells and utility cantrips to be very, very situational and like really uniquely good, rarely. Um, because like I like create, yeah, I like, I like creative solutions to problems, right? So the, like in our campaign where you guys were in a room where the solution was to have a player lose a hand in order to get out of the room, you guys remembered that you could cast teleport essentially, or arcane gate to teleport you into another uh, room in this dungeon because of the way that arcane gate works in this specific uh, campaign. And that was a really clever solution to this problem. And I like that. Um, you know, if the solution as could have long been, as like, we only do it once or twice. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, you guys don't have access to the spell. You only have scrolls. So, um, but yeah, if if they're clever solutions, then everything feels good. And from a DM's perspective, it feels good as well. But if you use a zero resource um, spell to bypass things from a player standpoint, like there's no tension, so it's not fun. And from a DM standpoint, it's like, well, I prepared all this shit for nothing because they're just gonna use Mage Hand to open everything and nothing, nothing happens. Um, the other thing is with making it a, a resource is you would have players like Adam who would never ever cast it because they would hoard their resources like, you know, potions and, or any consumable item, right? And if, it, if Mage Hand is a consumable item, like there, there's probably a, a balance that way as well, where it, you know, becomes not enough effect to, you know, to be worthwhile at a certain, at a certain level. I mean, from a, from a, from a game design perspective, there's so many things that I could, that I would recommend, <laughs> including, but not limited to uh, one you were just saying of like, 
imagine Mage Jam was a cantrip, but then as you're doing it, you feel you don't have enough strength and you could just be like, hey, if you spend a first level slot on it, the, the Mage Hand will successfully do the thing that you're asking. It's like, okay, that feels good. Yeah. Yeah, I or, like that sort of solution. Or, or make it so the hand, whatever, whatever the hand, uh, the hand is uh, uh, linked to you. So like if something stabs the hand, you take the damage. Ooh, that's kind of fun. A mage will never use that on a trap. And I'll I'll definitely reiterate that the like seeing players or being a player that comes up with creative solutions with a, a esoteric set of tools that they've brought in with them is like the height of of awesome, right? So so allowing opportunities for that is definitely the the value and coolness of having this player's handbook filled with all these sorts of things. It's just that mage hand solves too many problems yep it's it's too universally good there's just no i mean the the entrance to to that tomb was this cube puzzle with like 10 different cubes that you guys if you really wanted to would never have had to solve you could have just like i'm just gonna brute force this force this with mage hand for the next three days like that's what that's what we're doing for the next three days in game i'm like okay like (laughs) technically that'll work if you want to spend the time and like i'm not gonna I'm not going to reward that behavior by creating encounters for you. I'm just going to make you tell me which ones it is. Um, I think that the same the same issue exists with ritual casting that there it's there's no resources associated with it, um, and especially like ritual casting safety spells, so like water breathing every morning. Yeah, I was. Um, I, I, I would, as as the group's ritual caster, uh, I'll, I, I, <laughs> Brian, I, I will advocate. So I really like ritual casting as a wizard because it lets you keep certain utility things just available. All you need to have them is in your spellbook, and it, it, it feels really good. Um, what doesn't feel good is the breadth of spells as much. Like I wish there was some limiting mechanic on that. Like maybe it's like, hey, you can have two ritual spells that you have, period. Just, okay, great. And you can move them around or something given when you level or whatever. I I don't know what the particulars would be. And individual spells are problematic as rituals. I think that your call out of of water breathing is very fair because I literally just cast it every fucking morning and that's pretty dumb. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to keep going. Well, it's a 24 hour (laughs) duration. That's really the problem of that spell. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yes, yes. Again, there's always, I feel like in a number of cases, like with Mage Hand, there's individual problems, but the concept overall, I would like, yeah. Like identify, great example of a spell. I'm totally fine with being a ritual cast. Absolutely. Yeah, you should be able to, you should be able to identify your magic items. Yeah, like whatever, that's fine. Um, I think limiting rituals outside of like identify, um, which honestly, I don't even think that identify should be a spell. Like that is a, you guys spend enough, you know, you guys spend 10 minutes of downtime, you figure out what your, your items do. Like there's no reason that that needs to be a spell. It's just not fun. Uh, there's no fun design in that. But I think yeah. ritual casting should be limited to like one per day. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it, it always gets back to the fantasy, right? The fantasy is like, I want to be a, a magical person in this fantasy world and I want to do cool magical shit, you know? And, and unfortunately in old school D&D, especially like in second <laughs> edition, you were not that person like you you were like you were basically like an asshole with a pistol and your pistol had two bullets in it and you would fucking murder two people and then after that you were useless until you slept for eight hours so like i think that is also 
not the correct answer. And it's, yeah. you gotta, you gotta find the, the line to walk. I, I very strongly agree that, that cantrips and rituals make magic users feel like magic users. And I think that's really right. important. Yeah. Is your mage going to casting today? He's saving his two spells in case something it's like, so he's just going to hang out in the back and what throw daggers the whole time. It's like, yeah, he's just going to, yep. he might take out his sling if you get lucky, but, but it's, it's going to be slings and, or daggers. And, and what a great change that now, instead of throwing that dagger, it's like, I throw my like ray of cold zeroth level spell. Like it functionally is the same. You're still doing your D six. Whoop D effing do. Um, but like, now it's been skinned as a magical spell, and that's important. It, I mean, that that's a big part of it, right? But uh, you, you're a magic user now. <laughs> yeah, you get to lean into the fantasy, which is great. And I think you know, interesting. I'd be curious to see what what D and D does next with their next edition, if they ever come out with one. Um, no, like, yes. I mean, yeah, when? Uh, but but uh, like for me, one of the things I hope they do is they find ways um, to have people have like less cantrips and for the cantrips themselves. Because the thing that, again, we, we talked about it earlier is like, if you're, if you're a wizard or if you're a, a bard, you take mage hand, right? It's not even a question, right? If you're a warlock, you take Eldritch Blast. It's not even a question. And I think it would be interesting if they thought about different types of archetypes in that that sort of utility spell uh, array where you're like, oh, I'm going to be this sort of caster versus this sort of caster versus this sort of caster, so on and so forth. There, there are some interesting ones in there, but like you said, they're just very overshadowed. And the most recent wizard I did, I intentionally didn't take Mage Hand amongst other things. because like, I want to cast other spells and I have literally never used any of those cantrips. And I do look at them from time to time and be like, oh, I should try to keep this in mind. And it just keeps not coming up. And I'm like, I wish I had just taken light. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and how many times have you cast Toll the Dead in the meantime? Right, yes, just dong. All right, I'm gonna bring this up uh, a bit because we, 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 we got your half hour of goddamn content talking about goddamn cantrips. So I was actually impressed. I didn't actually think that was gonna happen. Um, the, 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 we only just one, got it started. Yeah, the, 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 other, the other part, um, the other ritual spell that I find problematic is a tiny hut. Really? I'm yeah. surprised. So, so the ability to, at any point in a dungeon, be able to take a long rest and, and regain all of your resources. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Feel like, you know, th there's one of the, one of my favorite parts of the campaign that we're running is how long you guys have gone without being able to take a long rest. And the resource management. Is that by that design, by the do. way? Or do we just yeah. suck at figuring that out? It is an available thing that they... It, it is an ability that is available to monsters in the dungeon that isn't explicitly said to be used that way. Oh, okay, cool. But, you know, if you guys could long rest between every fight or between every two fights, there would be no challenge in this. Yeah. I really, For what it's worth, I love that element of the game. Well, jo joke's on you. We figured out the magic circle. Yeah, but, I mean, it took you... 12 sessions oh yeah for sure yeah. it was great yeah yeah and, and now that you guys have figured it out like womp, womp. That, that works but yeah but just tiny hut being uh, you know allowing you to safely rest anywhere you are um and regain all of your resources anytime that you want is um it's one thing if you have to reserve a spell slot for it right like you can't exhaust yourself in your fight and go <laughs> all out um 
and then just say, okay, well, I'm just going to ritual cast this tiny hut. Like you have to say, okay, well, if I'm going to exhaust myself, I have to, I can't cast that last fireball, right? Or I can't cast this last thing. Um, yeah, so I, I, I would just. Yeah, to totally. And I'll definitely say as, as that if it wasn't for tiny hut being a ritual spell, I would have never taken it. And I think that that to me says that I need to reassess fun utility spells like that more outside of the context of ritual casting, because it's been very low key impactful for the entire campaign. I guess that's an interesting question. Well, if, if we hadn't been tiny hutting it up all the time, would you have had more night encounters or no? Um, yeah, I mean, I would have considered it, right? Because I, I wouldn't want you guys to be able to always have full resources, right? Right. Um, so yeah, there, there would be the possibility that like, oh, you're going to sleep in this dungeon and you haven't found necessarily a safe place. You know, there's, there's definitely the chance that something bad is going to happen to you, right? There's that element of danger as opposed to, I put up my force field around me for the next eight hours and yeah. nothing happens. Totally. Well, let me bitch about my least favorite ritual spell. So my least favorite ritual spell is fucking find familiar because especially <laughs> if you're a goddamn warlock with pack of the chain, oh it is God. like, it is so. You thought mage hand was versatile. Yeah. It, it's so fundamentally unfun to have a little drone who can solve all your exploring <laughs> all your traps etc 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 imagine if you had rolled up a rogue also in that game i know i know so fucking annoying so we we were recently at the beginning of covid we were playing a game that i was dming and one of the characters uh players andrew who's not here rolled a warlock packed the chain had a demon familiar you know, and it can do everything. It can turn invisible. It's resistant or immune to all these damage types. And uh, polymorph. Brian, polymorph. Brian wrote talk. Yeah, yeah. It's it can do everything. And and Brian rolled a, a rogue, an arcane trickster, and the fucking familiar basically outclassed him in, in nine every out of ten. turn. <laughs> yeah, it was it was brutal. And like again, as as a DM it basically put me in a situation where I was like, hmm, like I just can't rely on surprise and lack of information anymore. Like they are gonna probably know what's around the corner 95% of the time. So I just, I can't rely on that anymore. Which as players and not even non, you know, as non-Brian players, that didn't feel fun, right? right. This idea yeah. that every room we walk into, we already know what's going to happen. Um, right. For the most part, I, I here's here's my hot take. I think that all tokens are bad. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like any any creature that is not a player character that can be resurrected is not makes the game not less fun. But part of that problem isn't that uh, that pets are like are awful beyond the fact that just like combat and D and D just takes forever, right? So like if I'm if I'm like a ranger and I have a bear, like the problem is I take two initiative slots and that is a real time commitment in a combat. Like each, mm -hmm. each turn takes anywhere from, you know, two minutes to like five minutes if you're a caster. 
especially if you're Adam, burn on Adam, who has a really hard time picking what spell he wants to cast. <laughs> Adam, pick your spells before your turn, man. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's the real problem, especially if you have lots of pets and then you're like, okay, now I'm taking up three or four initiative slots. That's that's a lot of time to be hogging. I think those are two very separate, but both important problems with, yeah. with pets, because I mean, the, the like lack of, of risk and the like combat takes longer are like very yeah. different beasts, but they both come from a, a similar, um, the, the lack of consequences for gaining all of these advantages, right? I mean, that's that's both with the mage hand and, and the imp at all. I think we could classify everything you just said here is uh, ways players can unreasonably subvert the intentions of, of the campaign, right? Uh, uh, that That is like yeah. far beyond what should be a reasonable way to approach it, right? Uh, uh, the, there's nothing clever about it. There's nothing earned about it. You just you just have this uh, uh, easy button that that can just solve way too much for how for 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 for, for, for no cost. You know. Yeah, like, like the, the no stakes, the no risk is the part that that really irks because like you want like the heroes like like with the trap half exploded on them like fighting the skeletons like that's cool. Everybody wants that. You don't want like oh we sent an invisible drone and it solved the puzzle and we and we bypassed the room completely. M meanwhile, the every rogue, time <laughs> that the rogue hung himself in the corner because his life is meaningless. Like why, I just why, waited why to like here? I just waited to like level like seven when I was finally outclassed that thing. <laughs> you did it, Brian. Zero, I'm zero percent kidding. Yeah, no, I do remember. I do remember that campaign. A bad guy got away and turned into something flying and flew away, and Andrew's like, not so fast. Hey, a uh, little impy, and the impy took the thing out when it was like a mile away, and it was just like, okay. Pretty uh, sure that was a green dragon. Yeah. No, it was a doppelganger. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, a okay. Yeah. Anyway, and Andrew had to kill it out of spite because he's a heartless <laughs> bastard. No, he had to kill it out of make sure it doesn't come back and get us later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Familiars and you know tokens like pets and all that. If I think I'd be way happier if players had attachment to it and that right. there were consequences for it dying, right? Like if, if your familiar dies, you lose half your hit points oh, or yeah. something like that, right? Third edition familiars were way more like that. Like you, you did not want to let anything bad happen to it. Or maybe there's like a training phase where it's like it comes back, but it doesn't know you. It's got to get to know you. It doesn't trust you. Like a whole, like you could do a lot of things thematically where it's like the new person's like master. And she's like, oh Christ, not again. Yeah. Okay, pet. I'm your new master. I've been through like 20 of you at this point, but like, and then, you know, and they all a little skittish. They don't, they don't, they don't quite like have that like a, uh, you know, telepathic like sync with you yet. So they don't quite understand how you feel and how to react and all that. But anyways. Uh, I, or you have like, you have, you have, sorry, go ahead, Brian. There, there's always rule zero ways to solve all of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From and, and I think that's that's that was a great example of one one gym. Like, you know, RPI is out it and like or like like you hack the, like, hey, we're hacking the spell. Like find familiar works differently now. Um uh, it, it, no more blinking back and forth to another dimension for your familiar. Like that's not gonna fly. Or hey, there's no identify spell in my campaign. There you go, it's just gone. So, so if you were to say, if we were to put this under the, you know, advice for running campaigns, all of that should maybe be things you consider if you're going to run D&D &D with any amount of experienced players who might just kind of, well, you know, really the, the, abuse what they can do, right? The, the way I would encapsulate that advice is twofold, which is one, always expect your players to do totally unexpected things. Sorry. <laughs> but, and, but then the other one is like, 
I think you, you need to be comfortable after the fact having open conversations like between sessions of like, hey, we're gonna change X, Y, Z. Like it's fine that it happened in the past. We're just gonna do it differently moving forward. And that's, but that can be tricky to do. Yeah, this this thing isn't fun for anybody <clears throat> except, you know, potentially the person doing it, but everybody else feels let down by it. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the best part about D&D is that you get to modify the rules if you want. Like it doesn't matter. There's no it's, server authentication. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're in um, like RPGA, right? And then yeah, there's uh, that I, cares about is the rules. I feel bad about those places. Um, yeah, I can, people I can, have I can, to run those I, campaigns. Anyways, I can talk about I can talk I, about I, I, I buy 400 trained me. dogs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you started me with 25 gold. I go buy 400 trained dogs. I get so, 400 turns per round. <laughs> The first encounter is three hours. Okay. Uh, so another thing that's, I think, very much related, but in a different way, um, uh, what about uh, more on the DMing management? How have you guys, you guys have all run extensively long campaigns for, for multiple uh, multiple campaigns. Um, you know, managing BS cantrips is annoying. How do you manage when players, either intentionally or unintentionally, do nothing of what you've expected. Everything just seems like you are out of sync with them. You think you're laying breadcrumbs and they take these breadcrumbs the 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 weirdest or different, most different possible way. And you're sitting there like, well, do I have to alter the world to shove them down my, down down the, the, the path of like the next 30 things I've built because if they turn left here, none of that matters? Or or do I now have to go create a whole nother path and hope that <laughs> I make something maybe a little more explicit. How do you guys react to these? Because I th- he's always, I th- I th- I've seen DMs on both ends, uh, both both ends, both ends. Yeah, I think I think that's to Brian's point where you have conversations out of game, right? Like, hey, this isn't necessarily what I prepared. Like, if you guys, yeah, we're, we're going to, you know, to find the soulmonger, and you decide that you want to open an inn in Baldur's Gate. Um, like, okay, but we're not going to be able to play for a little while while I design that campaign, um, <laughs> you know, and, and having honest conversations like that. So I'm going to be very clear. Brian is 100% on one side of the spectrum. I don't think Brian would ever say I need some time. Brian would just say, okay, you open again. Like, what are we doing now? And Brian would literally just be creating the world as you asked about it. Uh, I would actually put on the complete opposite side, uh, another person that we'll never mention here, a uh, person, Mike, uh, part of Brian's campaign. Uh, you know him, right? One of your nerd nerd friends. I've played in his campaign and and it is com- it got comical uh, and, and, and it pulled me out of the campaign when I realized uh, I, I am a, I am I am not playing the game. I am I'm watching the game get played and I just happen to be someone who rolls dice. But 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 this this is going like I am on I am on a Disney uh, 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 ride. And, 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 you know, maybe I can shake the cart a little, but I am going from A to B, no matter what, I cannot stop it. You're, you're playing a Final Fantasy game. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's just a, you're, you're playing which a is, four month, which is, which is fundamentally like kind of against the point of D&D, or at least a lot of the D&D. I, I'm not going to say it's necessarily a bad style. It was a style I didn't react well to. Once I once I saw once I like saw the wall and I was like, oh, I saw through that illusion. I was like, oh, uh, uh, back behind the curtain. Right. It's like I didn't I didn't know how to go back. Like he gave us like the the big bad boss. And once I realized like, oh, he we we have to complete this scene this way. I was like, I I just acted the most ridiculous way possible. And it was like (laughs) the plot bent around my ridiculousness in 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 spite of it you know uh 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 uh, yeah and i was like oh 
Okay. So, so it's funny that you say that because I don't, I think of myself as bad at keeping pace with players doing things unexpected because, but I guess that's just the, like the never ending, like internal, like everything I do is crap, like mindset. Um, uh, uh, but the, like having sandboxes in mind and not having an expected like outcome is the way that I, I try to prepare when I'm being the best version of myself. Sorry, sandboxes is, is the wrong word because I actually specifically think of them as fun houses where it's like, there's this thing there and there's a little bit of this and there's this thing over there and there's this thing, these guys want to do this and this and that. And like, all right, it's kind of all set up. Now the players show up and I don't know what they're going to do and then go from there. So I think there's two two levels to it, right? Like in the individual session, right? Of you're in this place, you know, you have choices to make and they make a choice that's unexpected. That's totally cool, right? That's, that's no problem. That's what you're expected to do as a DM is make that make sense in the world and, and, you know, allow your players to make that choice. Um, you know, it's the kind of macro level, um, you know, what is the point of this campaign and what are your characters doing? Like what, what are their goals where it can go off the rails a little bit? And I have a much harder time not railroading back to kind of the original plot um, in, in that sense. Like we're, we're not all playing the agreed upon game now. <laughs> oh, you mean where you guys decided to go down a well and a, and a inn and, you know, explore a fucking 30 level dungeon instead of save the world from the evil dragons that were attacking it? I, I would actually say more so the starting a mining company yeah. was was more that thing, right? Where it's like, this is not what you do. You want to play fucking Excel spreadsheet? Is that what we're going to do now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys were going down that route too. So, so Will, clearly it, it's like you, you need time, time to reset. I think everyone would agree. What, how, how do you, do you, how do you specifically prepare for or you don't prepare for that kind of moment that's big enough where where you can see like time to, you know, how much detail do you put into future plans versus the risk that they never happen, right? If it will take them entirely out of the world that I am running in, I don't prepare for it at all, right? Like you can't, um, you know, if it is like, there's always going to be like these list of options that players have that are fairly reasonable and the unreasonable ones are way down that list. Like you prepare for those outcomes as well, to some extent, like you have some idea of what you're going to do in, in that sense. Um, you know, for like choice, you know, F instead of choice A. Does that make sense? A little uh, bit. So like, let's, let's make it, let's make it a, a example. Um, uh, uh, you plan out a dungeon, you've got a whole evil wizard story backline ready to go. You throw the, the 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 old farmer you know running in there begging for help because his farm's under attack by something that you're hoping is then going to set the whole thing off right uh, mm -hmm. uh, and and the 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 adventurers laugh at the farmer they don't care they 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 don't take the bait right do you keep throwing more at that do you uh, 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 do you then like how far do you go at that point or do you start to just say you know and they say you know what we're gonna leave this town we're gonna go halfway around the world does like that same mage just appear somewhere else in the world now and it's like the plot followed them or or are you like okay well that mage is gonna be there if you ever come back so no. so as an, oh. oh sorry go ahead brian okay uh, can, can i give what what i kind of do in situations like that sure absolutely so it's yeah, i have lego bricks in mind where like 
that the dungeon that that mage was going to send you to is now just like it has like two wires attached to it that I just snip. Okay, now the mage isn't what gets them there. And the next thing you do, I'm just going to insert that dungeon into. Okay. And, and dungeon can be whatever, right? Like that that's yep. could be a waterfall, it could be a, a, a castle, it could be an encounter at a town. But like whatever that content pack is, I just find another way to get there again. Is that cheating? I don't think yeah. it's cheating. I think if you do it in a way where people don't, they don't know if that's the case. Because eventually, because eventually, you're going to find something that you want to do or accomplish in the world. And as soon as you, <laughs> you do, guys do want to do something here, right? Well, well, yeah, no. But, broadly, but here's my point: if I were to say in a scenario where you feel like no matter what, you're railroaded to that dungeon, and then you say no, don't go to that dungeon. But like this town is going to have an, uh, 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 a like a secret lair from a guy's house. And that's going to be exactly what you were going to do anyways. I'm just going to change the themes. Exactly. You are basically giving them, you, you want to have the idea that you can control your character, but you also uh, want content and and it, and, it, and and you can't just rely on one person to infinitely scale to all these situations. So what is the, the middle that makes everyone happy? The illusion of freedom should be pretty strong. Yes. Yeah. That sounds like a really fantastic way, Brian, to, to provide that while not having to feel like you have to scrap everything all the time. I mean, I mean, yeah. so I mean, the content might be like, oh, like th there's this room with this interesting encounter fight with some some baddies, and like there's some tanky ones and some some ranged DPS guys in the back. I could reskin that to anything I want in the world, like, like with zero time, right? So just wherever the players happen to be when they want to get a thing done, this is this is what I, I put in front of them next. Uh, but yes. but I don't even care. Like I don't care if it's in the bottom of a dungeon or like flying through space or whatever. Yeah, so I think the most railroady thing that I have done so far in Tomb of Annihilation is I really wanted you to have the um, nanny poo poo encounter. Um, the which one it was the one where uh, super memorable. Yeah, um, she had flesh golems. She was uh, I can't remember the the thing that I turned her into. Um, it was on top of the mesa, like you guys had sailed down a river and you oh, saw yeah, some. Yeah. She was cool. Yeah, you saw. Yeah, you oh. saw some of the lobster people, uh, yeah, like a child, cool. get taken. Um, yes. And then you're like, no, fuck those guys because they attacked us at one point. Uh, oh, so we're yeah, not helping I, them. Yeah, I was sort of like, I feel like that was a hook that we just avoided. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so, just really, just in game, it was like, yeah, fuck those guys. I don't want to get involved in anything. <laughs> yeah. And so, so what I had, what I did was just, you know, like two sessions later, you guys I, you created a, a little town for you to run into that was having a similar problem, right? To to get you back into uh, this tract because I thought it was an interesting encounter. I thought it would give your character, Brian, some interesting powers. Oh yeah, um, it, wanted it, you it, to, it yeah, that I wanted you to have. Um, yeah, uh, so so I wanted to get you there. And I think that was the most railroady thing was like, cool, well, you're just gonna find a town that has a similar problem where you're gonna have to go investigate it. Because so the content the is fun. From the perspective of the players, it didn't feel like railroading. Then it felt like mm -hmm. like foreshadowing. Not even fo I'm not even sure foreshadowing is the right word, but it was like we kind of knew something was going on, and then we bumped into it. It's obviously happening it. in multiple yeah. areas. This isn't just a single isolated incident. Yeah. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is it felt almost the opposite of, of railroading. It felt like world building, <laughs> which is good. That means it, yeah, it, it, it yeah, landed. Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I would say the other solid tip for DMs out there is you not only up the stakes by putting it, making it into a, a sort of rescue mission, but you also bribed us with sweet magic items. So that is always another 
good tip for DMs. If you have a crew <laughs> that maybe isn't the most moral, uh, you can always dangle that carrot in front of them. Find, find what drives them, right, Dave? Get, get well, inside it took, their heads. It took, a, it took a bunch of magic items, right? Because I like kept rolling on this table and like, here's what he has. And he's like, yeah, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. I don't care about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll go anywhere that for that mask. <laughs> well, I mean, in fairness, Will, you just, it was a whole bunch of, of, yeah, it was, of wackadoo nonsense and then a plus three X. That's like. There were some, there were some good things in there too. Um, Haber's. Uh, the, the cloak, cloak went well. Is good. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that went well. All right, so we can all agree that uh, railroading is a thing that happens, uh, uh, but but doing it right and well means the players yeah. don't feel it or see it, uh, and and it doesn't pull them out of of that feeling like they actually have any control in the universe, right? So yeah, and that almost sounds like exactly what you were referring to to Jim, where like you felt like you could see beyond the, the veil, and it was like nothing I do is going to matter, right? Um, like a puzzle, and and and, and uh, like uh, Matthew Colville is a DM I like. On, on YouTube and one of the things he talks about on that is that like railroading isn't bad. Like it, the thing that goes bad is when like the players feel like their choices won't matter. Um, it, it's fine that like, hey, like I have this plot and there's gonna be this big bad and you're gonna go get him in the end. But then like on the way, if you're like, hey, we're gonna try to do this thing. It's like, no, 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 instead it, it, everything you do fails, just go do this other thing instead. And when when you start feeling it, that's when it's bad. And that's a hard like. There's no like objective time to be able to tell like when that's happening. But yeah, you know. uh, it's a good thing to strive for. Is basically don't be surprised if the first time you do it, you really get so focused on it, you shove people down it, and players don't love it. Figure, figure out a way to pull it back some. Be okay with other crap happening, and and know that you can just work it into other scenarios and get and still get the same thing accomplished. It just might not be the exact way you wanted it, right? The uh, the thing that almost broke me with you guys was, was that evil campaign. I do remember that you said that it broke you. You actually said that it broke you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you guys had historically done evil games and stuff, and I know how how bad news that can be. But for some reason, I got it in my head like I'm gonna do it. All right, you guys roll up evil characters. Let's go. I'm expecting just so much stupid evil stuff. And 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 you delivered, Andrew specifically <laughs> delivered of just the like abject refusal to like get involved with any evil cults, do anything like that would productively move across your ends. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. And then you sacked a druid's grove and didn't steal all her stuff. And I was just so flabbergasted. I couldn't take it anymore. I think one of the things you said was you gave us clear villains clear enemies that we should have no chance of beating and we charged in head first and then the second you give us like a layup we right, do yes. everything we can to hide <laughs> <laughs> and brian was like i'm I, mean, I don't know what to do it nothing he's like i, I he's like here's a massive dragon that's swan above you guys are all level one we're like so roll for initiative and brian's like what do you mean roll for initiative we're like <laughs> We're, we're, we're not like, invested in these characters Brian's yet. Like, we don't care. Am I, do I just kill them tonight? Like right here's, now? Here's, here, here's the wounded, like lawful good druid somehow, like all alone in her grove filled with magical items. Oh, we just, we leave her alone. We go away. <laughs> what? It's a, it's a she seems nice. What are we doing? I, I, I do remember you had Andrew's uh, uh, Death Knight level one uh, doing dishes in an inn because he tried to take stuff and you're like, he's level one. And he's like, but I'm a death knight. It's like, yeah, but like, know your role, buddy. You had three <laughs> dishes. I thought he was going to quit the game that night. Did he burn the end down? He did burn the end down. Or he tried to. Or he tried to. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole point is that from both 
player's perspective and DM's perspective, like you're, what you're really doing is you are telling a collaborative story. Yeah. Right? An alternating and, story is, yeah. is what I and, call and, it. And work with each other to yes. make that happen. Right. Don't, yeah. don't try to subvert what the other, what, what, you know, I don't, I don't, as a DM, I don't want to subvert what the players are trying to do. Right. That, that feels bad for everybody. Um, but ultimately, you know, as a player, you understand that the DM is trying to tell some, have, have some framework of a story that you can participate in um, and trying to break that framework isn't fun either. Or yeah. bending it is okay, but just flat out right. like uh, refusal to acknowledge the world and just like, I'm just going to go do a thing over here. I don't really care. It's kind of like, well, then this is so a like, shared experience. Like what, what, <laughs> what do you like, want to do? <laughs> like, what as in seems- like, we don't care about these dragons. We just want to go down to this dungeon. I don't remember this, but uh, uh, this must be a. I was in the the COVID campaign that I was running. Got it, got it, got it. That's right when you bailed. They decided to instead of doing the main plot, they're like, "But this dungeon goes forever." I oh, is that the, is that the thing we crawled down into? Yes. Oh, that we chased that that creature after, like that, that was like really, really like infinite and in expansion. Like, is that the thing that we were like, we're killing this thing? And, no, and, yeah. no, 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 no. J- Jim's talking about something different. Okay. Oh, no, no. That was something else. Yes. We got him, though. We got him. He's dead. Good work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I also think to, to piggyback on the evil campaign stuff, I think the most important thing about understanding about playing a quote-unquote evil campaign is you have to have a party that doesn't want to kill each other. Like, <laughs> like if you have a party that is like actively fighting with itself, you were you were literally defeating the entire purpose of tabletop role playing, in my opinion. Like the the point is to hang out and like have a good time. And if you're constantly like a little bit of strife is fine, and like especially if it's fun and humorous. But like if you're actively trying to thwart and kill fellow party members, you're doing it wrong. Like but like that's that's not where the fun is at. It it, it also it's it's very unfair because on a certain level. Like if in game, the actual party members would probably drop you like a bad habit pretty quickly, but because you're all there, the PC is sitting at the table for that same reason you pick somebody random out of a lineup and say they're in my party now because they happen to have the PC hat on. It's hard to just kick people to the side. Yeah, You want to give a rallying speech like this is how good wins guys. This is how good wins. Okay. (laughs) We're always fighting with each other. Let's get along. Do you want Dave, do you, you want the do you want the gold dragons flying around? Because this is what's going to get gold dragons flying. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, had some other topics I want to throw out there. Um, see if any of these uh, were interesting. So uh, uh, the social stuff. Do you guys want to dig in that for a minute? So there are these social attributes that every character when you make character right, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. These are these are things that you know we we throw stats at. You can they're they're role playing stats, right? Like they're they're checks you can do with them for sure. Um, that can help mitigate, but for the most part, these are you know you know how wise your character is, and and do they make like the really stupid decisions in the group? You know that that's all based off of like how you work, right? That's it's hard to get into a character with someone who you know is 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 a much uh, uh, you know much higher, much lower than you are, uh, uh, and kind of like play at that level. Maybe it's easier to to lower it, but it's certainly like you can't really increase it, right? You can't. You can't role play someone who has much higher intelligence than you do in real life, right? You, you just have to work with these other things. So how have you guys found from a DM and player perspective to manage uh, uh, when, you know, 
when there's like an honest attempt to try and work with this and and kind of keep it all feel in game and immersive um i think that like int whiz and, and charisma are are two different like those are sort of two different categories of of dealing with those sorts of things i find charisma a lot easier like social skills and whatnot because like like when i'm dming like whatever the person in question is saying i try to get more of the gist <clears throat> like when I'm being the, the good DM version of myself, I get the gist of what they're saying instead of hanging up on individual phraseology that they might make that like would insult the particular person and then just have them roll their stat, right? And then you're like, oh, okay. Like, I, I get it. You, you don't know how to flirt with anybody, but you're just saying, I flirt with the character. I flirt with them. You're, you're absolutely like, hopeless when it comes to flirting. Yeah, but, yeah, but you're a character. I'm doing the yeah. translation. And that's, and, and, so that that's, that's the thing. I mean, the, the mental skills, I mean, the, the, like, you know, it's like, I don't know, roll your research and then a thing happens or not. Like, it's kind of binary. I guess, I, like, to me, like, wisdom always translated into, like, you would have a good idea, like, kind of like, hey, you would know not to do something like this. You would just, you know, like, that's like the one I'm talking about, where it's like, I guess you can't, you can't translate that well. You just kind of say, well, no, wisdom is really just you read a lot of books, not necessarily that you know anything. So, so interesting, Dave kind of in the same vein you're playing a character with six intelligence except your character knows everything because you have all of the books <laughs> and have dm'd many many times um what, what are you trying so, to say Will? what are you trying to say Will? well, well, well that the, the, there is a challenge there right and yeah. you know how do you handle it as a player to 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 do that because i, I think from a like you use it as a role-playing hook right? Yeah. To play the dumb character. Um, but you're not actually role-playing. Like, you're not actually playing a dumb character. You're just, you know, using it for amusement. I, I know the line you're talking about. I don't think the words are coming quite across, but I like the the calling it a role-playing hook, because that's definitely the, like, the through line. Yeah, for, for you know, any of the in-character... Um, social interactions. Things. Yeah, social interactions. This is what Dave is using to motivate his character, his his behavior, yeah. right? Is that, yeah, yeah, but but an ambush comes with with twenty nulls. Dave's like, you take point, you go over there. I'm gonna yeah. get this guy. In the knee. I know he's a weak point. Yeah, exactly. In three rounds, I know your spell's ready. He's like, Jesus Christ, who was this? This guy <laughs> ruling a second ago. D Dave decides what the character's going to be doing. <laughs> it happens, and then yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that to me again, like as someone who enjoys the role-playing element of these games like to me that's where the stats are the most fun that like if you're playing someone who's actually i i i love the opposite i love playing low ints or low charisma characters they're the most fun because like you are given this freedom to be a total idiot or to be just like the most uncouth obviously fucker like <laughs> like in in a party or whatever sort of social situation and yeah those, those are my most uh those are my favorite characters to play i would and then strongly I, agree that flaws are more interesting than strengths yeah and and i think you know that my advice to folks is when you're playing DD &D as a player like don't strive to be like that perfect incarnation of another character from like another piece of fiction you love like don't strive to be like Tony Stark like all the time like and I, and I think functionally that's part of the reason why Marvel is good at storytelling is because Tony Stark does fuck up and his fuck ups are usually pretty hilarious like you're just never going to be that 
perfect, flawless hero, and that's the opposite of D&D. You roll natural ones and you fuck up, and that's part of the fun, and you should just lean into that and not be upset that like, oh, my hyper-intelligent or hyper-charismatic uh, charismatic character can't get through the situation that they should get through. Yeah, as a, you know, DMing, it's mostly what Brian said, right? Where it's, you know, what are, what are you trying to accomplish? Like, tell me as clearly as possible, and then we'll figure out what the best role is for that, um, as long as you communicate it. Uh, and if you're role-playing especially well, you get bonuses, right? Like yep. when Adam has a particularly good insult, I'll give him bonus damage on that or something, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Like the, like the, the classic like third edition diplomacy check is the one that always comes into my head where like, you know, I'll just shift the DC around based on the, the story that the person's describing and then let him roll. Like, I want to trade this for that versus like, like you owe us because we want a thing, right? Like one of those DCs is going to be worse than the other. Uh, that's a really good point. So I think when you played with us, Brian, um, I know you, uh, uh, I think it was something you were kind of surprised with and you like immediately adopted and liked, but second edition um, was not uh, this kind of tactical war game, right? It, it, it was a, uh, it was like you swing a weapon, does it hit or not, right? Like there was a backstab, but you know you couldn't get this like prone and all this kind of you know crazy maneuvers, right? So so everything was about um, well well we would create maps and we would say oh I'm over here and I'm over here and you try and play it out. It wasn't this like rigid official count out the the blocks to the thing, right? It was like you're in range or you're not, right? That's it, you're in range or you're not. And and if we were to think of something especially interesting or 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 really like uh, be very descriptive about how we're going to attack with an axe or something like that, there would be this kind of like, oh, I'm throwing you a bonus because I really like that. It's like you got you got props for immersing yourself more. And I, and I feel like we had kind of started to get used to that. And I thought like one of the times we played with you, Brian, you know you saw that and you're like, Oh, I love this. Right. It's like, Oh, this is, there's nothing in the books about anything about this, but all of a sudden it made said, yep. You, you, you know, you are, um, you, you know, you're, you're very much incentivized to, to lean into the world and, and to, to what's happening. So, um, I just wanted to call that out and say, if you had any, um, I don't know, I guess I'll just call that out as, a, as advice on both ends, but I don't know if you had any, anything you want to add to that. Okay. I mean, uh, I mean, I just think that like to, to that, to put a, a button on that, it's just like, again like make your game what you want it to be like if you want to make a game that's like all about grid-based combat go for it you should probably check out fourth edition because it does grid-based combat super duper well uh if you yeah, want to have a game yeah i know i know you appreciated that uh if you want to do like a really loosey-goosey game there are lots of rpgs out there that are not DD that are super loosey-goosey and if you want to kind of do something in between you know, 5e D&D is pretty good. Uh, okay. All right. So I had only had one other question here that I had written down ahead of time. Actually, two, but we think we kind of covered that one. Uh, one is, and um, I'll ask each one of you, uh, uh, I'll start with Will. Will, um, wh- what do you do when your players roll a one? What, what does that mean to you? Uh, it depends on the situation. You want. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it entirely depends on the situation. In the campaign we're currently playing where everybody is a halfling, and oh, you get halfling <laughs> luck, so you get to re-roll a one. Um, yeah. If you roll another one, something bad has to happen to you. Right? Like, <laughs> like the, the odds are so slim that like you can't avoid. Which it finally did happen last game. Yeah, yeah, twice, twice in twice in one game. Um, yeah, and usually that's like if you're attacking, you you hit somebody else yourself, right? Because 
the, the odds were so low that it's not going to usually impact things. Um, for anybody else, like 5% chance is still pretty high. And yeah. I don't like the way that critical misses feel when they happen too often. So I just usually avoid them. Like avoid anything particularly. Bad. You don't add a, an additional thing besides just failing. It, it, there's not no, a fail I don't, plus. I don't, I don't add a, uh, an additional penalty. Um, if it's like multi-attacks and you get multiple ones, it's kind of the same thing with halfling luck where like uh, the odds were so bad now that you kind of have to have something bad happen. But yeah, on a normal, I mean, 5% is just too, too, too high of a chance for something bad to happen. And it feels kind of random. Um, and critical hits, like that's 5% chance too, right? But that feels good. Like it feels good to have big damage numbers. So uh, yeah. So limit limit the lows and call and call out the highs. What about what about yeah, you, exactly. Brian? What's your feel on the ones? Oof, there's a lot, but I'll definitely say that from a like game design standpoint, critical failures are the absolute worst. And you should never do them. Like they're just bad. But I love like the opportunity the the opportunity that a one presents. Uh, I remember in World of Darkness really enjoying this too, of critical failures were also that, but they're, they're always an opportunity to inject something fun into the world. That's what I try to think of them as, as a DM, right? Like I'm not, they're more interesting to also then use to balance things. Like if you're, I'm worried like, oh shit, players are going to get wrecked. And then one of the baddies rolls in one, I'm psyched about that one. And in the exact same opposite, if the players are rolling and they get a one, then like, oh good, now something super bad's gonna happen to them. I mean, I'm a little different. Like, I think that like, I like punishing players for natural ones. Uh, and I think I, here's my philosophies. My, my, I think the best D&D is usually like level one through level three D&D. And then like, once you get beyond that, the power creep is real. And then, you know, it, it gets to sucking out all the tension out of the game, all the, the stakes become a lot less scary, which is weird because you go from like fighting goblins and orcs to fighting like gods. And you're like, ah, whatever, like I can take this God, no problem. Uh, like, and, and I think the thing that's nice about natural ones is they allow you to continue to inject fear like in your players that like they can't feel invulnerable all the time that like, you know, even if you have ridiculous saving throws and you're up against that beholder, that natural one can still fuck you. Unless you're a halfling. Then William has had a really rough go. <laughs> we're we're a party of four halflings, by the way. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's so funny. We made these characters as like a meme, as like a joke, and they're really fucking powerful. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically, you know, the 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 average saving throw roll in their party is like a twenty eight. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Well, oh, that's that. That's some hyperbole, but we, we 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 stacked the bardic inspiration, the artificer's inspiration, and the paladin's aura, <laughs> and and our immunity to ones all simultaneously gets a little excessive. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. But, but there is no better feeling than the the rolling of the one followed by the roll, re-roll of a 20. Like that's the best possible feeling I think in combat. It is quick. Is, yeah. is, is going from critical miss to critical success because of your halfling luck. Uh, I mean, I, to, 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 to plus one, your like level one through three is the best. Uh, I would say that like catastrophic failure is, is some of my favorite things. 
my favorite DD is when when certain death feels like it's a roll away um, yeah uh and my experiences with especially in third edition a lot of this of ratcheting up difficulty which i know is something that you're kind of dealing with right now will as power creep happens and my experience was as players were leveling just the amount of capabilities that they had just blew me away and and following the um by blew me away blew away the the cr descriptions and expectations and and finger quotes fuzzy math that 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 D does um and just like needing to power creep way more in response to that. And yeah, the, just... the, mar the margins of error become much, much thinner. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's, it's hard to find yeah. that sweet spot of where to have like a good fight that isn't, that isn't a blowout. Yeah, when we first started, like you guys hit like level five or so. Um, and, you know, I stopped going from the, the modules and I hadn't DM'd in, in probably 20 years at this point. Um, and I was, I was like, okay, well, let me just look up what, you know, challenging encounters should be. Um, you know, I put you guys up against a deadly encounter being like, oh, their player characters are going to be okay, probably. And like, just absolutely rolled it. And I was like, well, this is not helpful anymore. <laughs> like, that's, Dude, when that's you get not... to like round two or you get to like round two and a half and, the, and like one guy's taking six damage, you're like, okay, so this was a deadly for who exactly? Like the, the creature? This is a deadly counter with the creature. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's just all balanced for with the assumption that players are new to the game and they yeah. don't have meta knowledge, right? Well, they, and they not just meta knowledge, but not like how to optimize their turns. Like aggressive yeah. min maxing and, and good and, and like uh, like expert tacticians in the game, basically. Um, so 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 that gets to the, the next part that I want to get into. Uh, uh, player death. Maybe this is the last topic, and then maybe we'll close up after that. Uh, character death. What do you? How do you guys feel about killing off characters? When is it appropriate? When is it not appropriate? Um, uh, what are your thoughts on it in general? Uh, I'll start with Dave on this one. So in general, I'm really against it. Uh, but I think that like the the threat always has to be there. So sometimes you just got to pull that trigger, right? Like I think like the thing I don't like about player death is that again, fundamentally D&D is about hanging out with your friends and having a good time. Most players do not like having their characters killed. And you know, and it depends. Like, I think in our crew, like, I certainly wouldn't be upset if William killed the character that I've been playing now for the last eight or nine months. And, but that be that's because I've played 20 years of D&D. &D, so that's fine. <laughs> Dave finally got to this point. He finally did it. <laughs> and, and I think that like, you know, if, if I kill a player, the, the way that I like to kill players is for them being like extremely stupid. Like that's my favorite way to kill a player where it's just like, I've given you so many warning signs and you're still an asshole. And now here are the consequences and you you're dead. I did that once in a campaign that Darcy was playing in. It wasn't her character, thank God, my wife. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one of the characters playing that campaign, like I, I told him over and over again that jumping in the blood pool in this cult blood ritual was a real bad idea but he was like a chaotic neutral gnome and he just like hopped right in and i'm like yeah i'm, I'm sorry your character is fucking toast and like i warned you like five times <laughs> uh the interesting thing was he wasn't totally dead he got turned into like some evil abomination uh and he became like one of the ultimate villains of the campaign so that was kind of cool yeah I, to echo your point i think that 
the amount of time you've spent playing D&D really um, colors how okay you would be with, you know, character death. Um, mm-hmm. And so in, in, in this campaign, the, you know, for you and for Brian and for Andrew, like when you guys have done something stupid, like Andrew picking up the obviously trapped thing and just <laughs> deciding to run away with it and starting to be petrified, like fucking, oh, that's what you get, dummy. Like that's, that's like, I don't, I don't know what you expected to happen here, but I'm not saving you. Um, only saved by the grace of Brian's character being completely insane. Um, and, uh, you know, so I have no problem with that, but the one time that I kind of intervened to save, save Adam was to save Adam, who hasn't played as much D&D as we have, um, who was about to get decapitated by a trap that he went to go investigate by himself. Um, Oh, the almost TPK'd us. Yeah, the, the boar's head. Yeah, the boar's head almost did TPK. And at that point, like, if it killed everybody, it would be like, okay, well, that's, that it kind of is what it is. But um, when it was just going to kill Adam, I, you know, gave him, gave you guys a chance to save him. Um, mostly because I would have felt bad if his first character died without getting to finish the campaign and then being in an awkward place to inject a new character where he's just not going to have the same attachment and the same, you know, fun role-playing. Uh, I have definitely gone from being, like, fine with killing players and i would hate the idea of any of my characters dying when i started to these days i would never kill anybody and unless they did something outrageously stupid and but like i would be blaming myself and like i shouldn't have said conned things at them blah 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 uh and the idea of my characters dying is great kill them all (laughs) yeah and i think that's again that's that's like kind of one of the most important tips to give to, to newbies is like let your, like, talk to your DM and, like, let them know, like, where your boundaries are. Like, <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, because, like, if if you're, like, not comfortable with certain thematic stuff in your game, just tell them that. And if, if you know, if you're, if you're going to be really pissed off about, like, a random critical hit, like, murdering your dude, like, just, just tell them that. Because, like, again, you're just there to have fun and hang out. And if you're not having fun and hanging out, you're not that's the point of the you're fucking it up man that's the game <laughs> the whole fucking point of this thing it's literally the only win condition yeah uh it, it's a really good point dave like like a little checkbox like are you okay being killed and if they say no it's yeah. like well you know what i didn't kill you but uh you don't have a pinky now and you take you have a minus on these saves so like i don't you know what i mean like you, you do like well i won't kill you but like you're gonna remember. but i don't have to save you yeah yeah you're, you're gonna remember each time that you should have died with like a thing i i won't kill you but you're gonna wish you were dead by the time <laughs> yeah. i'm done with your character yeah how's it going over there hobbles we're having um, we're having fun now right we're, this is fun. <laughs> fun? We're all having- oh, do you remember when i just killed your ass will in dead earth when you were mouthing yes. off to that guy oh that made me feel yeah. so good hey what was that i don't remember that an old, old yeah, my, my my yeah, my character was was um you, talking shit to somebody, and yeah, you, you guys were captured, and Will just kept talking shit in a place that specifically death. You come back to life if you die. So yeah. oh, I love that zone. That place was cool. And and, so. and then you took away my memory. Yeah, which wiped his memory over and over and over again. <laughs> and like every time, every time I died, my memory would get shorter and shorter, and I got to yeah. the point where I like only remembered a week back. Uh, yep, it was a memento. Um, so, so, uh, that guy's gotta go. So, uh, maybe, maybe this is a, a question that's silly, but I figured I'd ask it every time I've ever tried to explain D to people who've never played, they all ask, not all, almost every single time I get the same, this one question, how do you win? 
How do you beat it? And I always look at them like, oh. uh, uh, what do you mean? And they're like, well, <laughs> did you beat it this weekend? And I was like, I mean, we we killed a, a boss. We, we we got some loot. They're like, so is it, did you win? I'm like, I mean, in a sense, right? We won that, we won that one. But like, and and it was always uh, weird that like, I, I guess it never, it, like people have to remind me that it's like a thought that goes through their head of like, when do you win? And it never somehow, you know, early on the brain flipped to there is no win condition, right? Obviously all that kind of stuff. But how do you, um, uh, 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 you know, what do you think it is about D and D that, 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 that is a game that you specifically can't win? Like, sh- you know, what is it about that? That makes it so appealing, you know? Cause like in some people's minds, I feel like they look at that as like a, a detractor, right? Well, so it's, it's a timeline thing, right? Cause I actually think that there are win conditions in D and D, right? Like, well, the first win condition is the one Dave talked about, right? Where it's just having fun was the win condition, but also just in campaigns in general, like I don't mind that there is a finite end to this thing, right? There is a point to this, the story is over, um, but it's just going to take six months to do that instead of one night, right? Um, so I, I don't agree necessarily that there are no win conditions. I guess I've, I don't think I've ever played in a campaign that had a, an idea of an end and then ended. I think every single campaign I've ever played in, we played until we didn't play anymore. I have definitely strived to end campaigns in my life. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a, a, a good tip that I would give to people. Is that like... Try when, to end. Yep. So, for example, we didn't actually accomplish this, so I'm not following my own advice. But <laughs> I, I did have an ending to the COVID campaign that we started back when, when we first got it got into zooming and, and playing D and D again. And it had a very specific ending in mind. Right. Uh, and spoilers, it had nothing to do with dragons. It had nothing to do with this fucking, uh, endless fucking dungeon that you guys made me run. Um, but I wanted to, I, I mean, I, so stupidly here's a, here's good advice. What not to do. So I think it's really important to make sure that like, while it's important to give your, your players freedom and what to do, like, don't, don't make it the entire fucking world of Faerun. So when, when, when I started doing this campaign, I was like, you know what? I've never run a, a game in Faerun. I've never run a module. So we're gonna start with a starter set, which was great. And then from there, I'm going to take three Faerun modules and leave them as options to the player. This is the worst thing you could do because each of these modules are like 350 pages each. And you know what your players are gonna do? <laughs> like a mix of they're, not gonna, they're not gonna choose the module you think they're you're gonna choose the one you just spent fucking 20 hours reading. They're gonna choose the other one. And they're gonna like get bored of that one halfway through and be like, you know what? What about that other thing that was going on in this world? Maybe we should go check that shit out. And then, like, all of a sudden, you're back to that other fucking. You're going to read reread it because you forgot everything. So, in fairness to the players here, we specifically you asked you which one you wanted us to be doing, and you were like, "I don't care, whichever one you want." Yeah, he was, was like, lying, at that, Dave. Yeah, Dave, at, that, Dave at, at that point, we're like, all right, well, we're early in this dungeon. I guess yeah. we can just keep doing this. You played yourself. Yeah, this is like I when know. you have like a, a two, like a vanilla and a chocolate ice cream saucer, and you're like, well, "Which one do you want?" And they're like, "I don't care. You pick." And you're like, "I'll take the chocolate." And they look at you like, "Fuck you! I wanted the chocolate." Like that's basically just what happened there. Um, I, 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 Elena does this one, and 
where she's like, do you want to do this thing or this thing? And we're like, well, option one. And you're like, ooh, I really wanted you to pick two. Let's just do two. I'm like, <laughs> I wasn't sure I wanted to do two until I heard you wanted to do option one. And now I definitely want to do option two. See, I don't mind it. I don't mind it much because I'm used to it. But when she does it to Zoe. What, 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 no, what's better doesn't go so good. is uh, I, I've also gotten the, uh, the other one, which is I'll call the Robert California, which is which one do you want? Option one or option two? <laughs> Uh, I, I, you pick. No, no, you really, I don't really care. Okay, option one. Really? You don't want option two? No, I mean, honestly, it sounds like you want option two. No, you, you clearly want option one. I'm telling you, I have no care what option one. No, no, we'll do option one. And you're like, holy shit. I'm now. <laughs> the villain. Happened? You clearly want option one. We're going to do option one. I, I definitely want option two, but you know what? We're going to do what you want. It's like, what just happened there? Um, so you got Robert California in that one. Um, so, uh, yeah, so uh, th- those are all really uh, uh, fair points. So, so basically, your idea is is have an idea for an end. Uh, yes. The ones that go on, um, they tend to fade out, anyways. So it's like maybe having the knowledge that that every campaign dies. Uh, people just like, and, and it's funny when every single time I felt like a campaign died, it wasn't a slow feel. It was like we were playing one weekend and yeah. then we just didn't the next, and like that was it, you know. And it never even. It wasn't even necessarily at the end of a big thing. It was just like we did a big thing. It dragged a couple a little bit. We just didn't have a we didn't have like a, a feel of a good purpose, you know. And then that and then, and then it clear next step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like and, not having a clear next step. Or maybe in, you did never ending campaints. But it but it, but well, it was yeah, that like ad nauseum of like oh another fucking like here here's the next I mean, thing you know. But let, let's be honest, like ninety something percent of campaigns just end because they end without an, an ending, right? Like that's that's yeah. the that's the expected state. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited happen. that I'm pretty excited that you guys are are getting to the close of of Tomb of Annihilation. Like this is a are we? There's not gonna months. be another fucking dungeon. No, no. Yeah, there, oh, I just assume that this thing is gonna turn into Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and it's gonna go from <laughs> level six to level thirty eventually. Well, well, yeah. So I mean, I think that there is, I think there's a point to that, right? Where you can have a clear cutoff of like, this is where the campaign ends, right? And if you want, if we want to continue these characters, like this story is over. Yes. And we can continue your characters on past that, but like you have won this thing, right? Like this, this has been beaten, um, you know? And, and I think a, it's, a good way to, I think a good way to do that in an ongoing campaign that for instance, I, that I would have done backwards in time with, with Dead Earth as an example of like when there is something that can be a campaign ender, just go ahead and stop there for like a week, a month, six months, whatever. And then it'll feel more satisfying, right? The entire experience because it had a beginning, middle and end. And then if you start it up again, it'll have a really good starting point to begin a new arc. Yeah, I like that advice, Sam. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, the, the one... Uh, the one thing I've always wanted to do as either a player or DM is the like one through 20, like level one through 20 campaign. Um, and that just takes so fucking long and no campaigns are designed for levels like 13 to 20. Like they just don't really exist. It's the power curve is way too high as Dave, put it, um, yeah, so it's, it, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. But it's it's why you know the, the idea of leaving campaigns open ended is is appealing to me to some extent. Um, but having individual stories wrap up inside that. Right, that's the thing. I think that's 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 the trick right there. Yeah, that level thirteen plus. That's like I I think of. Uh, I know you guys haven't seen it, but uh, One Punch Man when Saitama goes to that 
to that 10 story uh, uh, building of doom. And it's like 10 stories of traps and, and bosses. And, and it wasn't even him. And one guy's just like, well, we know the bad guys in here. And he just leveled the whole building. It's like, well, yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. You could, you could just do that, you know? And that, and that was it. Right. Um, so in the, in the context of the anime, that works better because a DM wasn't sitting there making the 10 levels, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like it, it you hear crumpling they were, they were, they were and just, cursing under their breath. Yeah, exactly. That that one's just a cardboard facade, right? Like we never actually fleshed out all the ten levels. Yeah, yeah. The only the only time you guys have done something close to that is you know at the end of one session. I'm like, okay, guys, next beginning of next week, which direction are you going to go? <laughs> yeah, I just I need a direction. <laughs> like, are you going north or south from here? And we do the absolute. And opposite. you do you do the absolute. Like, cool. I'm glad I fucking prepared all that. Awesome. <laughs> That's. That's end of session bourbon versus beginning of session clear eyes. Yep. Yeah, and and also it's so funny too. Can I just bitch about fucking Dungeon of the Mad Page for like five minutes? Like, Please. fuck that module, man. Like, that it, module like, bad. like I know it's like just a rehash of like an old second edition module or whatever. The I thought it was, was great. Written. What are you guys talking about? Well, so here's the thing. Here's what you don't know about. So like Dungeon Dungeon of the Mad Mage, I think that the first and the second floors are pretty cool, right? Like I think that like, if you do the module as written, or sorry, not the second floor, fuck the second floor. The second floor is bad. That's the why third you guys- floor, skip. you had to skip the second yeah. floor. I had you skip it because the second floor is bad. So the third floor and the, and the first floor are great as written, but if I had run the module as written, not only would you guys have steamrolled every encounter, which because I had to up, I had to up the difficulty of every fucking fight so much. Uh, it is just like the most boring version of Diablo because you're just like you walk into a room, you fight a bunch of chumps, and you murder them easily. You like you walk into another room, a more chumps, and it's just like, do I want to be in combat? For 10 hours watching you steamroll chumps because that's what this module is written and like every once in a while there will be like a bullshit trap and like that's that's like the big like the the the, the vast majority of the content of the the actual module but the actual narrative of it is kind of interesting and it's annoying because they probably spend you know 15 not even 10 percent of the book talking about the narrative and 90 percent of the book talking about stats and chump monsters and and dungeon layouts and it's just like oh god i mean so i i i liked as you segued out of grid and into flowchart and descriptions yeah which is I, I, after a certain point did. yeah after a certain point i was like i'm not running this thing as written anymore i'm i'm doing my version of it because it is fucking painful i have a and I, can tell, I can tell you guys were getting bored too like you guys were like, ah, oh, okay, another fight and we're going to win. Yeah, there was also, and I mean, I understand that this is the, you know, kind of structure of it. The There was no coherent necessarily narrative of that dungeon where like the floors were all so different. And like, what is the, what is the actual goal here besides just getting to the end? It wasn't uh, very well laid out in that sense. No, but that's, that's, that's by design and like, Again, if I tried to use the plot points in the book to provide motivation, your evil ass characters would not have given a fuck anyway. So. <laughs> but the children, think of the children. Yeah, I mean, the I, children that you murdered. 
<laughs> what do you mean those children? I mean, the, the, I the party, so the much money to the church. The party's goals were also a little bit, I mean, I, that felt more like a first edition party than anything. Yeah. Although, absolutely. More specifically, I played it that way because that's just, I was just playing my character, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got one more question because I want to hang up. Sorry. One of the things that I, I particularly enjoyed about uh, Tomb of Annihilation is that the last dungeon is kind of bereft of, of fights. Like there aren't that many, which is nice. Right. That it's much more about exploration and puzzles and kind of figuring out what you're supposed to be doing there um, rather than every room you walk into being another fight. I, which I, I like. I specifically appreciated what I kind of perceived as some big gear shifts in the game campaign when it was like, all right, now we're this game. And and toward toward something you said earlier, Will, about expectations, that that helps there. It's like, hey, we've moved out of the like like the the hex crawl of like a of a jungle and now we're in like this place and we're doing this kind of a thing and it and the consistency there and the 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 obvious like change of like chapter yep uh, uh is is good yeah i'd love to do you know probably in the next after i don't know five or six more weeks um like a post-mortem on on that and you know where it was great where it was not so great we should do a podcast about it jim can Jim can listen to stories that he was not involved in. Yeah, that sounds real interesting. <laughs> Tell me about what you thought about the first part of Timo, or tell me what you about the second part. Um, so, what do you think about the third part? Oh, that's fantastic. It's amazing. Um, so, um, uh, so that maybe that, and I know we're kind of going late, but uh, I had this and I want to ask you. So, so clearly pre-made content, uh, it shows how how, you know, Making content's incredibly hard. Making interesting content's even harder. Um, uh, a cheap and easy thing for a D, for a DM is I don't have any content. Throw throw an enemy at them, right? And and then you get into combat fatigue. So 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 from your DM side, because um, even even with pre made content, you still have to fill in gaps. I'm sure. Like it's not like you just everything's just read off a script. Um, how do you avoid combat fatigue? How do you how do you make like fights more like uh, you know Obi Wan and and Darth Vader in Episode Four and not you know obi-wan and darth vader in episode three you know oh i'm glad adam's not here you you would have just opened up a can of work <laughs> <laughs> sorry the uh, high ground is not that interesting of a fucking line but um okay so yeah what, what you get what i'm trying to say um uh what, what are your what are your do you have any uh i'll say not like oh just put in the effort and make it like do you have any tricks or or, or useful ways that can kind of help help with that process so for me, while well, well, Brian and Dave think, um, having characters roll some really easy encounters occasionally feels good as like a gauge of power. Um, but then when those encounters exist, either taking them out entirely and just not having that room exist in that way um, and only having the kind of interesting, you know, relatively decent stakes encounters exist or okay, yeah, there's a room full of skeletons or a room full of goblins or whatever it is. Um, we're not going to make anybody roll for this. Like, describe how you murder this room of really low-level mobs um, just because the combat isn't going to be fun. So why bother rolling? Okay. Yeah, needlessly rolling dice for a room you know has no real threat. Uh, uh, you're, it's a really good point to just, like, call it, give it, it's a gimme. Like, I know you have it. What can yeah. we do with Import this? Room? Importantly, you get no experience from any of these monsters. 
<laughs> you've you learned nothing more about killing skeletons. Like you've learned everything you need to know about killing skeletons. Uh, yeah, you, you figured it out. You you efficiently chop through a horde of of undead um, instead of taking forty minutes to run the encounter. Okay. Okay. Uh, Dave or Brian, you have any tips or tricks? I, there's so many different ways to go with that. I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking about what like my my best go to would be. Um, I've gone through the same thing Will sort of implying where like at one point or another you just stop throwing encounters at the players unless they're like important um, and that's kind of a thing that I've experienced where just like hey it's going to take two to three hours to run a combat so I'm only going to get one per session so I'm going to make that one a doozy I mean I'll just say this like and it actually goes to some advice that Brian has always given me and I have found it really helpful as a DM is that like if you're actually doing prep for your sessions like you should always be thinking about like three or four main story beats that you want to hit over the course of that session and those beats are usually like you know i want them to talk to some npcs i want them to be like and, and, and talking to those npcs will provide them with an objective they'll fight some shit as another thing as an obstacle and then you know there'll be some sort of like surprise twist and then you know they collect the reward like those those are you know four tried and true story beats for a Dungeons and Dragons session um but like weirdly I actually find it's more time consuming and cumbersome to run a module than a homebrew like I am really it's very natural for me to do homebrews and I struggle with modules because I either like don't really understand like the motivation of the whole module Chris Perkins, you're never going to listen to this. Fucking make obvious themes to your goddamn modules. I want to understand, like, what is the point of this? Like, it, is it, it like, yeah, Tomb of Annihilation, you're going to fight Asarak as a lich. Got it. But, like, beyond that, like, what is the fucking point of this, this module? I think William did a really good job of teasing it out of 300 pages. But like, it's it's not obvious in the beginning of the descriptions of these things. And it's actually really important to understand those big thematic through lines. Um, so yeah, I, I just think, you know, for me, interestingly, some of the best sessions I've ever run are sessions I walk in with zero prep and I'm like, ah, fuck, we're shooting from the hip this time and we'll just see what happens. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo what you say about modules. Um... They, they are deceptive in the sense that they make it seem like, oh, this is all pre-built world. It's going to be easy. I just follow the instructions as a DM and it'll, it'll, go, it'll go well. Um, but trying to decipher somebody else's logic about the way the world works um, leads you down, you know, unless you have done a tremendous amount of prep, it, it can go awry really quickly where it's like, well, what do you mean this, this room doesn't work this way? Like, why? Why wouldn't you explain that at the beginning of the section on this room and not wait until <laughs> the last sentence to to tell me about the trap that is in the front door? Like, well, fuck you, man. Um, yeah, exactly. They always do this too. Yeah, so they're not they're not the most coherent in that sense. Guy said it was magical. He was lying. He said he didn't <laughs> lie. He was lying about that. Um, I, I, I'll also say that I've never run a module but i've many times used like one shots like one shot modules 
you know, like like six pagers or whatever, and just yeah. had them be part of a game that I'm running. And th that has always worked out really nicely because um, then I'll either hack parts of it kind of like you, like you were alluding to, Will, um, or, or just um, it ends up just being some content filler between things. Um, but then just trying to feel free to like take hooks from it and just make that be important later. I think I think the, the thing comes up with the improv a lot is that like you don't even know what players are going to fixate on and just like the the key is if you're being the good version of the improver is like whatever they fixate on that turned out to be the important thing right like yeah. there you go yeah i mean as, yeah. as the dm the most fun thing is is watching you guys fixate on something that is not important at all and you're like all right well then, how do i how do i make this important because yeah then, you then guys you've have just spent two hours discussing it yeah then you gut check whether or not you want to make it important or, or or leave it not and you know neither are correct or wrong yes yes he did have a great beard that is interesting isn't it <laughs> <laughs> well so here here's a fun example of that uh there was a character in the DD starter set that you guys perceived to be an all-powerful necromancer spoiler in the module he was just a fifth level caster you guys could have murdered him in a second but like in that moment i'm like Nah, you're right. He's too cool. He needs to be a super powerful necromancer. So I just like in the moment just leveled him up. Like, uh, yeah. We should have killed him before we believed. We should have killed yep. him before we believed. Exactly. What was the first time you motherfucking evil bastards were actually afraid of something? So I was like, well, was it wasn't like Skelton's like carrying stuff for him, like in an old army, like that. I don't know. There's a lot of guys. Yeah, because the lore of the module did have that, which makes no sense from a fifth level caster perspective. But you know whatever also um, we we know that he would just have them rain arrows down on us from 250 feet away exactly do 300 damage in one turn and then never get to use your skeletons again it was a good um, turn though yeah in in the in, in my campaign a moment like that was when you guys decided to um murder an entire uh temple full of um oh. grungs that oh, were clearly just defending their home um and you systematically murdered all of them after you know a little bit of debate um you know having that come back later as a kind of moral uh you know thorn in your side yeah i love that, you know, that. It was make, make make it more important than it actually was yeah i thought that was awesome like especially how it all went down where it was just like you know Andrew, like someone and having a tap, psychotic tap, break. Someone yeah, I was gonna like, say, who, who kicked it off? It was either Andrew or <laughs> Andrew. Andrew, like someone like tapped Andrew on the nose and he murdered everybody. And then like halfway through murdering everybody, he was like, guys, maybe we should stop murdering everybody. <laughs> and why did you guys make me murder everybody? <laughs> and then we're like, uh, I don't think that's how it works as we're getting stabbed by fingers. <laughs> Guys, 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 I'm done with this. You can stop the stabbing. Don't make me murder you more. <laughs> I only I think people who stabbed me first. <laughs> I think there was a healthy bit of the, like, not paying attention, then paying attention real quick, making a decision, and then being like, wait, what just happened? Oh, no, let me justify this now. And, you know, that's, you know I've done that. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, that was Andrew's character not liking the... Um, we're going to have to come back to this at a later date if we want to resolve this peacefully. Um, <laughs> like, a, no. a shortcut. 
Yeah, <laughs> no, this temple is getting solved today. <laughs> we are on a tight schedule. Yeah, because like you eventually would have run into somebody. Found and, a kid. Yeah, and, and he would have brought you back, and you would have been okay, and like that was all going to happen. But nope. Now he is the the level uh, thirteen through twenty version of this will be that guy chasing after you to. Well, not him. Didn't we? Avenge. We had a whole, we had a whole we had a whole party of like yeah. people that we had wronged, like prepped. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it I was think him, the so Gorgon. There, I know there was. When Andrew was slaughtering all of these things, was he screaming, tell me to wash the dishes? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it was broadly, like, how dare you defend your house from us? (laughs) Yeah, that seems seems about right. No, no, the, the, the literal trigger was he offered to pay them money and they, like, threw the money on the ground. And this is their home, his, and they weren't going to just, yeah, okay. Well, they're, since, they're like frocks for uh, uh, swamp frog people with like spears and shit. Like, they don't care about a pile of gold coins. And we handed yeah. it to them, and they're like, I don't want this. What are you doing? And, he and then he was insulted. <laughs> insult <murdered> me. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, now, so of course, just... moments <laughs> like this are, of course, the whole point. This is yeah. winning, having this conversation about that moment. That's That's the win state. Yep. Yeah, T- turn turn a fun, interesting moment into a hook for additional story. Cool. And then re- and then reminisce about how Andrew is, at some point in every campaign, <laughs> going to murder a town full of innocent people. <laughs> a triggering event all by himself. <laughs> <laughs> if you have Andrew in your campaign, sooner or later, he is going to try and murder everyone. Oh, well, that house like hasn't a- got to set fire to itself. Yeah. Jim, in that evil game, you were like a poison, half poison elemental or something. I, I remember I, that. I remember doing a good amount of torture in that with that yeah. guy. Yeah. I think I was a master of chains in that campaign. No, that was Dowd's where you Yeah, that's when so 20 on no, you're you're confusing which one we broke. We broke Brian with the, the right. evil campaign. You broke yeah. Dowd with the other campaign. <laughs> yeah. Can't imprison me. Oh, you chained me up? Well, I'm a master of chains. Fine. Roll 20. Roll a one. You're roll a 20. Yeah. So campaign's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't tear up character sheets out of game. That doesn't help it either. Um, oh, yeah. Good tip. <laughs> we, we, we were young and stupid. And couches were incredibly valuable, apparently. So couches were our currency. When you have a bunch of people who are all going to go to sleep in a location, the couch is, <laughs> is the most valuable thing that night. Make a, you know, don't mistake that for anything else. Um, okay, so so this was fun. I, I think we covered a bunch of, bunch of great topics. Uh, anything anything that comes to your guys' mind? Anything you want to say before we close it up? Man, I gotta run again. Yeah, you're you're up next. You're on deck, man. Yeah. Let's. We're gonna wrap Dude. this Tomb of Annihilation, and then you're up. Do a four, yeah. fourth edition campaign. I'd be down for that. That's kind of my final question to you guys. Do you? Because I have a pretty strong preference of which one I like more. Um, do you do you find running or playing more enjoyable? Or for you, are they just two different things entirely, and it's hard to you know compare them that way? For me personally, I like running substantially more. I like you know being more of the storyteller and the world builder rather than mm-hmm. the the feature of that world. Running like seventy five percent to twenty five. I I mean I running is definitely more rewarding. I find, but also at the same time. I find that playing is nice because like you, you, 
you don't have to worry about a lot of the prep and it's just about like leaning into your character and uh just thinking about like more like that's the prep you can do as a player is you can just think about your character and like oh what would be like a fun shtick i could do for this character at some point in the future and i think that like um that's a good piece of advice to, to leave it off on is that like I, th I see a lot of newbies out there who put so much pressure on either being like a great first time dm and they, you know, they watch Critical Role and they compare themselves to Matt Mercer and they're like, oh, how do I be this fucking guy? But it's like, well, yeah, I mean, like, I think the, the, the stress and the prep and all that stuff is real. But at the same time, it, so much of it is on your players. Like your players will make or break your campaign in so many ways. And like as a player, like really think about like what you can do to make the campaign fun, not just for yourself, but for the other people at the table. Like it's so, so important. Like just just do a little bit of prep, a little bit of homework as a player, and it makes everything way better. The the big the big thing that I have in my head about that is something that you taught me, Dave, which is always have a short and long-term goal in mind. Yep. Like that makes any character like a thousand times better. Um, yeah. Uh, Will anything that you want to throw in there? No, I think that's that is a great piece of advice. I think that's a good place to leave it on is is do a little bit of prep um, and make sure your character has at least the vaguest of outlines of motivation. Yeah, D and D is the is an interactive story, which means the DM didn't come in with the story. The story is going to emerge based on like what the players and DM say to each other, and that's the fun part. It shouldn't be expected. Uh, go write a book if you want. And try to try to connect that story back to the other players too. Like I thought that Jim, when you and Adam were playing uh, in the the, the quasi evil campaign, uh, you you and Adam tying your backstories together was really good. And that like you know even when you stopped playing, Adam kept leaning on that, and it was great. It like created this connection from him to the rest of the group, which was really important. Cool. Uh, it's all really great advice. And um, yeah, this one was fun. So um, looking forward to the postmortem of, uh, what was it called? Tomb of Sorrows? Annihilation. Or Anni Anni Annihilation. Annihilation. Okay, Tomb of, Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, I guess everyone, everyone have a good night. Later. Outro music. Outro music.